Welcome to College and Coins, where we learn about college, the process, get in keeping those coins, and everything else in between. We are here today with Kevin Lightman, and he is the author of The Perfect Ten, 10 Students, 10 Mindsets, One New Definition of Perfection. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Great, Peachy. Thank you so much for having me on. How are you? I am awesome. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to everybody about your book and all the things that you're doing. So we'll go backwards. Let's tell everybody what you do and how you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were just talking about how it's just a mixed bag, right? So I was teaching English and I taught every grade level from 7th to 12th. And I just moved out of Florida and moved out of the classroom to Ohio to help with my family's business. And my wife and I started an education consulting company. It's called TLC Educate. And we put together curriculum, professional development around equity and empowerment of teachers and students. And then I also direct academic mindset. It's a mindset strengthening company for schools. I'm a new author. So, you know, that's exciting. So, you know, I've got a few different hats, I guess I should say. And I also... I'm an adjunct professor at FAU, so kind of all over the place, but in a in a good way, in a way that makes me happy for sure. Yes, in mm-hmm. a good way, in a good way, in a good way. So let's go back to the mindset for the schools. What exactly mm-hmm. is that, and how do you help schools in in developing their mindset? Sure. So I I was actually very fortunate. It was this fortuitous timing where I was coaching wrestling, and a club that I helped out at picked up this company called Wrestling Mindset. And, you know, the whole pitch was, you know, they strengthen your mindset for wrestling. And, you know, they're the biggest sports psychology company in that field. So as I started doing that with my wrestlers, I happened to be going through my PhD and I was right at my comprehensive exams, which are very terrifying. (laughs) And I, I was really nervous about it. I'm like, I don't think I can pass this thing. So as my students were, my student athletes were training with this wrestling mindset, I started kind of taking pieces of what they had and applying it to the PhD program. I was like, wow, this really works well in academics. And I realized they didn't have an academic program. So I wrote them and I'm like, you know, you guys should really have this. It's working for me at the doctoral level. And I think middle school, high school kids, they need to be hearing these kind of messages, how to set goals, how to stay motivated. I mean, these things apply to school as much as any sport. And they said, yes, we agree, but we don't know how to do it. You've got to come on board if you want this. I'm okay, okay, let's do it. So, you know, we formed a partnership and I kind of just took over this academic branch of their company and started building out the curriculum from there. That's amazing. That's amazing. So let me go back. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you were working on PhD. Have you done are you done? Yes. Oh, yes. Well, then I stand corrected, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Please, Dr. <laughs> Kevin Lightman. <laughs> Thank you. I stand corrected. Listen, no, I no, know what a challenge mm-hmm. it is, the PhD programs. I'm mm-hmm. speaking from experience and I'm not done. Mm-hmm. So I get it completely. So I listen, mm-hmm. Dr. Lightman, <laughs> we're going to give thank you all you, your flowers you. right now. Today. <laughs> I appreciate oh it. And, uh, oh that's where I met my wife. So her and I, we got our PhDs together. She beat me by a year. I'd like to say she's a lot smarter than me, but you know, we <laughs> at least both made it through. So you know, it's pretty nice to be able to do that as a family. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Oh, so you have so much stuff going on. So let's get into the book. Tell us about sure. The Perfect 10. Sure. So when I was in high school, when I was a younger kid, I wasn't a great student. I had a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles, didn't really apply myself very well, but there was some kind of potential in me and it just wasn't coming out. Right. And, you know, you see now I'm at the end of my PhD journey. I have a doctorate. So clearly I was capable of being, you know, a a perfect student or at least a very good student. And it wasn't coming to fruition. I was holding a, you know, a 2.0 GPA. I dropped out of a college and then failed out of another college. I just, just every obstacle I could place in my own path, I was definitely doing that, right? So as that kept going, you know, I, I finally overcame that. And I realized the big problem was I wasn't defining myself as a perfect or even a good student. I was looking at everybody around me and saying, they're perfect. They're great students. And I don't look like them. I don't sound like them. I don't take notes the way they do. I don't complete my homework the way they do. You know, like everything that you would think of generically to identify a perfect student, I didn't feel like I fit it. So I continued to do poorly until I started to redefine, well, what's a good student anyway? Can I be in a room with these people and do things that are different and also be a good student? Can I, can I fit that role? And once I started to change that, I went from you know, failing out and lots of trouble to you know, success. So then as I became a teacher, I started noticing this was happening with so many of my students. I would look at them and be like, you are by far one of the brightest young men or women I've ever met. How do you have a 0.7 GPA? You know, and it just, their grades were not matching what I could clearly see their ability. And what was happening is they weren't valuing it. And other people, adults, peers, their parents were not valuing the skill set that they brought. They weren't bringing out those strengths and doing anything with them. They were just kind of pushing down on, yes, but you don't do it this way. You might be smart, but no, you're not listening in class the way I want you to, or you're not participating the way I would appreciate, right? So as I started to kind of form that bond with my students, like, wow, I've been there too. How can we break out of this? And they started not just excelling, but then also wanting to help others. Like, hey, this is how my journey went. This is how I turned it around. Hey, have you tried this? Have you thought about that? And, you know, the collaboration was kind of born right there. So, you know, as I started the book, I was like, let me wait until they graduate because I don't want to be asking students like, hey, you want to be a part of this book and you're still in school and they might feel like they owe me something or like, you know, I don't want there to be any kind of power structure. And, you know, when they graduated, I asked 10 students and all 10 were like, yes, this needs to be a book. I am honored to have my voice in here. I will be brave and courageous and say, everything about my experience. So I warned them. I was like, you got to really bear your soul if you're going to put it in a book. Right. And they were all about it. So it was just such an amazing collaboration that I got to do with my students. It felt so good to have them sharing their stories. And that is amazing. And it's so interesting that you talk about the perfect student and what exactly is a perfect student, because I'm a former teacher as well. And so I can Mm -hmm. completely relate to the students that they beat themselves down because they don't look like the students that 
like you said, take the perfect notes or, Mm -hmm. but they don't realize that those students on the other side, they're having their own struggles. And sometimes it looks good on the outside, but really they're dying inside because they're like, I'm struggling so hard, but I have to make it look good Mm -hmm. for everybody else. I don't know who to tell that I'm Mm -hmm. really failing or I'm really freaking out. I'm really stressing myself (laughs) out. You know, and it's yeah. a hard, it's a hard, it's like a double-edged sword for these students. And mm-hmm. so I really commend you for taking the time to tap into those students and let them know it's okay for you to be where you are. Let's just grow from where you are and make it better. A lot of times, exactly. students, especially college students, freshman students, mm-hmm. I'm finding they're having those issues as well because they didn't yeah. have a resource like you or your book that they can Mm -hmm. actually tap into and realize, you know, I am perfect, (laughs) you know, in my own way. I am Mm -hmm. a good student in my own way. I just learn differently or I do things differently. And how can I accentuate that strength? Exactly. And I think Mm -hmm. society kind of, even for adults, society puts you in these boxes that you're supposed to Mm -hmm. do things this way or it's wrong or no, Mm -hmm. you can't do that because you didn't do this instead of allowing people to be who they are and excel in their own right. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I think everybody should read this book because especially students, because just understanding that someone else was in your shoes and you might have the same exact situation going on. They just need to know that they can do it. So I thank you so much for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that was, you know, a big goal of mine as we started getting into this book is, yes, I know that this is so valuable for parents. I know this is valuable for teachers. Just being one myself and having spoken to a lot of other teachers, I'm like, we need this kind of book, but I really made it for students. And that's why student voice is highlighted throughout the entire book. It is the bulk of everything that you're going to read in that. And I'm even paying my students per book sale. So they're not just a, you know, a contributor just for kicks. You know, they, they went along with me because I wanted to show like your voice absolutely has value. It is important in a real sense. And people are going to value your experiences that way. So, and you know, that that's the feedback that's been coming back so far is like, wow, this really validates a lot of how I feel, or this helps me understand why I'm not performing my best when I know I can, but I see everybody else and I feel all of a sudden like I can't. So it's been nice. And you know, something you brought up too that's kind of funny. You're talking about how even the the so-called perfect students, they have their own struggles as well. And the last student chapter, I actually featured a student who was like that. His name is Zane. He was a state qualifying wrestler. He had a five point something GPA. I can't even tell you how many scholarship offers he had. They were just, you know, and I wanted to show somebody like him too. So you can see like, yeah, you would call him perfect by most standards, but every single day was a struggle for him and maintaining that. And maintaining the expectations of his parents and his coaches and his teachers and everybody else, being able to balance that was just such an enormous task on a daily basis. It wasn't like it was hard every now and then, right? So it, it's really interesting, no matter where students are, whether it's a 0.0 to a, however high they go now, I don't even know how high they go. I think it's like but, something or seven. Yeah. Depending on how many AP classes, (laughs) but anywhere in that range, all you're going to find are young men and women overcoming struggles. And it's just, they're so impressive when you see what they do and how they, how they make that happen. 
So you aren't in you aren't in the classroom anymore. So let's talk a little bit about the way education is evolving, especially since. Oh, I, I can talk freely now. I'm not in the classroom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and especially mm-hmm. since now we've had the pandemic, there are so many students mm-hmm. who are having challenges because of the online component. And it's not necessarily because of the, right. the students. Some of it is because of the teachers mm-hmm. because they're not used to this platform, and so. I ask almost everyone who comes on the show, like, how do you see education evolving? Do you think it, it's going to evolve for the better or are we mm-hmm. still going to be in trouble? I mean, and now you're in Ohio and you're not in the classroom, but mm-hmm. you were in Florida in the classroom. And mm-hmm. Florida is so different sometimes, especially curriculum wise yeah. and away from other states. And mm-hmm. I guess Florida is like its own country, if you ask me. Yes. And in many ways, yes. Yes, in many <laughs> ways. And so the students... How do you how do you see education changing or evolving as we go? And is it going to be a positive or a negative in your estimation? Man, see, this question always gives me trouble because I'm an optimist. And I really want to believe in a better future for education. I want to, I want to kind of lean with that optimism side, right? Not just in Florida, but I mean, nationwide, I've seen a lot of schools who clung to everything about a traditional classroom that they possibly could, right? So if it's, we give a certain amount of assignments per, per week, per grading quarter, whatever, we're going to keep that same kind of number. If we give this test, we're going to give the test, you know, and all they do is, okay, so maybe some of this will be online, but it's going to be the exact same curriculum the exact same standard, everything about it is really just not, not really evolving, like you're saying. And this would have been the moment, if yes. you ask me. I, I, I think this would have been the moment where we would have seen, here is a drastic change, and we're going to use this for the better. We're going to start thinking more about pedagogy. We're going to start thinking more about leaning on teachers' expertise and allowing them freedom and creativity. And doing the same for students, allowing their experience and their voice to really impact the classroom. So much opportunity here. And what you hear is a couple schools here and there have taken that and run with it and are doing amazing things. But when you look at the, the greater scale of the country and you look at like district-wide performance, a lot of it is, yes, but we need to assign this much. We need to grade this way. We're not changing a thing. And gee, it's not working so well. Right. Right? I agree. And yeah, and then that's where the dialogue starts to shift and you hear all the, well, you know, online learning is just not as good or hybrid learning is just not good. We need to be in the classroom. And that's really, that shouldn't be the, the conversation at all. Like that's not even the debate. The debate is really how do we improve education, period. And then we can start looking at, yeah, there are some things because of COVID that we are forced to do or that we can't do the way we want to, but we can really analyze these strategies and do something better. And, you know, I see that ball being dropped more than picked up. Yeah. And it's kind of frustrating because I remember at Mm -hmm. one point, everybody was teaching to the test and I never taught to the test. I taught the fundamentals. I I just, I just went against the grain. I'm, I'm different. You teach the (laughs) fundamentals and they can take them with them and they can use them any at any time. So they won't have to pass that test. They'll be able to pass any test. That's my mind thinking. I do notice that a lot of teachers, the teachers that are very well-versed in tech, they're doing the amazing things. And my question was, and I asked an administrator, 
why don't they allow the students to teach and bring those teachers up to speed so that everyone will be on the same comfort level? Because I don't subscribe to the online education is not good enough because of the fact that these kids are always on their phones. They're always on the computer. Yep. And they watch YouTube and they learn stuff off YouTube. They learn how to cook. Right. They learn how to dance. They learn how to do all these different things. But it's because of the fact that they're engaged. And yeah. how do you think that, how do you think the school system can teach engagement so that the teachers will be able to reach the students? Because I, I know that they're trying to go back to status quo, but it will never mm-hmm. be the same. It, it just won't. I had asked someone, you know, what if they made flip classrooms mandatory? So then you could have that hybrid. And the person said to me, I don't think that's going to fly because, you know, Mm -hmm. and so how do we bridge that gap? Because it's a gap and it's growing. The divide is growing Mm -hmm. exponentially. And so how do we, how do we fix that? You know, I think the way this bridge is going to be gapped isn't necessarily from the work of educators, although I think in some spaces that will happen. I think that will actually happen just purely from competition. There are large private school movements. There are charter school movements. With COVID, I've even seen like kind of like teaching pods or like, you know, small, small group kind of situations. There is going to be competition that at some point is going to really harm public education if it does not adjust, change, and evolve into something that's much greater. So I think you're going to start to see, and I don't know how long this will take, but I don't imagine it's going to take that long with the impact of COVID, that there are going to be a lot of public schools that start flipping their PD. And they're going to say, okay, maybe we do need students to be involved in the professional development process. They need to be helping to guide us on what they need and what they're not getting. Right. Or how to make something like a hybrid model work. Right. And that's going to happen the more that enrollment slows. I know in a lot of schools, that was the conversation this year is, what about our enrollment numbers? We can't afford our teachers now. We can't afford some of the nice things in our school. We can't afford some athletics. We have to drop, drop, drop unless we raise our numbers. Well, how do you bring numbers back? You got to have the kids engaged. They have to be succeeding and they have to be happy with their school experience. And, you know, when you think about it from a customer service position, that's really what it's about. You need students to be coming in here and receiving the skills and the materials that they need, but more importantly, they need to be leaving with wellness. So if they're getting the data points for a test, but they're all burnt out and they're depressed and anxious and a whole host of everything else, our parents are not going to want to keep sending their kids to that kind of model of schooling, right? So I I think at some point it's going to work itself out. I hope, and this is again, the optimist in me, I'm hoping that what we're seeing in data and what we're seeing around the country, that a lot of schools will now pick this up and say, we need to be ahead of that curve. We don't want to be in the position of we're just desperately trying to get students who are leaving our school for private, for charter, for homeschooling, for whatever else. And we're going to actually get ahead of it and start doing things the right way and start caring about what we should be caring about, which is definitely not test scores. Right. Right. And it's so interesting that you said this, they should be asking the students. And, and that's the mm-hmm. one thing, that's the one thing school, school districts don't do. They fail miserably. They don't ask the students what yeah. they want and what they need. And until they do that, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. Yeah. We're definitely I mean, trouble. that was like the precursor of my book is 
just the conversations I was having with students, like, where do you have voice in the school? Where are you able to hold accountability for your, your teachers, for your principal, for whoever? And the answer was always, no, 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 we got right. nothing. Right. That's not right. That's not correct. That's not how schooling is supposed to work. And it, clearly it's not being effective. But then something happens nationwide that exaggerates everything that's already happening. And you go from, we can brush it off to the side to this is now such a clear glaring issue, right? Because now we're not serving our students and we're not asking them. And what's happening? They're failing, right? Right. And you can't say that it's their fault when, you know, a majority of students are failing in some places, right? That's the school system failing them. Now we have to pick that up and say, okay, we need to involve them in the conversation because our solutions for them are not working. Right. And so as an adjunct professor, mm-hmm. you've moved out of that space and into a higher education space. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing any differences? Are you seeing any differences in the way education is evolving? Because I know even some universities mm-hmm. were struggling. Yeah. I mean, when it first happened, right, I think everybody was so thrown off that we were all just in survival mode. And as an educator, I can understand the the panic, right? Because as a teacher, I'm sure you've had something happen in your classroom that completely threw off your lesson plan yes. for the day, right? So now you magnify that. I, I get it. And then as we move forward, okay, are we doing something productive with that? And in some cases, yes, I've seen some growth. I've seen some improvement. I've seen a lot more flexibility. But in other cases, I do see a lot of people still cling to that rigidness of this is what school is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to carry it out that way. So, you know, for instance, I have a, typically elementary educators who are pre-serviced. And, you know, as I speak to them and we talk about assignments, when COVID struck, I was extremely flexible, but I was already flexible, right? So it wasn't a huge change for me. It wasn't me going from, I don't accept late work and I will fail you for fun to all of a sudden a different extreme. It was really me just being me and just understanding that the situation called for even more than what I usually give. But you know, the feedback I got from most students was, wow, you're the only professor that's given us an extension. I can see Meanwhile, that. Meanwhile, they're sitting in their room with COVID by themselves without parents around, without friends being able to come in and help, feeling terrible, feeling sick, feeling exhausted. And it's like, wow. People are so stuck on this is what school is supposed to look like that they can't even be flexible in these circumstances. Or they want like a doctor's note to prove, are you really as sick as you are? Or is your grandmother that sick and you're taking care of her? Prove to me that you're taking care of her. Like, you know, it's the extension of what already was there. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so sad. Yeah. And I I don't want to just be like all, you know, doom and gloom. There have been bright spots too. There, There are educators out there I see all the time who are amazing. I think that's why I'm active on social media. I see so many incredible educators and I just flock to it. I'm like, I want to see more of the good stuff, right? right? And it's there. You look for it, it's there. You look for the bad, it's, it's also there, right? But I think it's important that we understand why some of these bad things are happening because that really shows you what was there again before it was magnified. I don't know why I keep using that word, but I think that's really the, the moment of clarity is we've had many problems in education for so long and we've gotten away with it. Yep. 
we've been able to be lazy with it. We've been able to not grow and say, well, we're tweaking our test scores by a little bit, which is usually just the test scores changing their proficiency rates, right? But you know, just by minor or no adjustments at all, we tend to be okay with it. And we need moments like these to, to really clarify how much we've fallen. Absolutely. So what is next? Is there a, a book two on the horizon or what, what, what do you have going on? So I was very fortunate to be published by EduMatch, which is a phenomenal company. They exclusively publish teachers and students and you know education work, and they are just doing a phenomenal job. So I was, I was very lucky. They gave me a two-book deal. So my second book is actually going to be about burnout based on my dissertation. So my dissertation was on new teacher burnout. And I came up with some interesting findings on ways that burnout happens, how contributors to burnout interact with each other. And I want to get that out as well. I think that's really important for teachers. I think burnout, especially in today's world, is going to be such an important focal point. So that's going to be my, my next work. My wife and I with our tlceducate.com, we're going to have some content coming out there as well. Something that her and I, my wife and I love working together because that's how we met, right? That's like, mm-hmm. that was our dating life is, you know, grad school. So <laughs> we're really excited. We're going to be producing some content over the summer. We're going to have some really cool things coming up, including the TLC method. I'm just going to kind of leave that one out there. The TLC method. Look for it, guys. Look for it. Yeah, it'll be fun. So that's what we've got on the horizon. And then I'm sure we're going to have 500 more projects as we go because we just, we never stop. We like to stay busy, especially in the education space where I think it's so important that we're honoring voices like our students and that we're empowering people with our actions and not just with our words. So that's where you'll find us for sure. Absolutely. And so how can someone get in touch with you? if they wanted to? Uh, So if you go to tlceducate.com, there's a contact form there. My social media is kind of linked up to there as well. So you can follow me on any platform at Kevin Lightman, except TikTok. I I haven't mastered the dance yet. so I won't even uh, attempt it. (laughs) (laughs) So other than that place in particular, you can probably find me just at Kevin Lightman. I am happy to connect with anybody. I love talking to education and I love hearing other people's ideas. I want to know where you're at and what you're working on. So happy to connect. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And when your book, the new book comes out, of course, we'll have you back on. I appreciate you very much. Thank you so much, Peachy, for having me. You are so welcome. College of Coins is brought to you by the Freshman Funbox brand. Until next time, check us out at collegeandcoins.com.